BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Howdy, hey, and hello there. Welcome to another episode of Weird Finance, where we try to help you feel a little less weird about money, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Paco De Leon, and on this week's episode, I'm chatting with Pamela Rosario. John Lennon once said, music is everybody's possession. It's only publishers who think that people own it. Philosophically, I agree with Lennon. To me, ideas, whether they manifest as songs or a fleeting flash of an image, have always felt like gifts from the creative spirits. And since creativity has always felt like a magical thing that I don't fully understand, I've always found it a little bit odd that we can own ideas. Even if I think the concept of owning ideas is peculiar, I still recognize that it's important to understand the reality we're living in and to learn the rules of engagement. How do you protect the intangible assets of your ideas and your intellectual property? This week's guest is Pamela Rosario, an intellectual property attorney. She's an expert in helping business owners and creative professionals protect their intellectual assets, their ideas, and the business ventures born from their creativity. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Pamela. Pam, thank you so much for joining us today. I can call you Pam, right? (laughs) Do you prefer yes, Pamela? Yes, okay. everyone does. Okay. No, either way. I just got on a nickname basis with you right away. <laughs> We're friends now. We're BFFs. Pam, I am curious about who you are and who, like, what your childhood was like. Why did you choose law school? How did you become the Pam that is sitting before us today? Yeah, great question. <laughs> so I'm Pamela Rosario, intellectual property attorney. I'm originally from New York City, born and raised in the Bronx. 
And so I think that my trajectory into law was a little bit cliche, but then also kind of roundabout. So I really, you know, I saw all of the struggles that my mom had with like navigating the legal system. It's not like she was a criminal, but you know, just like anything from going to the passport office to, you know, anything like that. And it used to really frustrate me when I was younger. And I think that just kind of opened up my like social justice, you know, side of me and just wanting to see what differences I could make in the lives of my family, obviously, and just my community. And then also, you know, coming from a Latino household, there really were only two options, you know, doctor or lawyer. So I was like, not going to be a doctor. (laughs) We'll do that. So it was kind of always law for me, even from the time that I was younger. You know, my my family would say, you like to argue, you should be a lawyer. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, that's not really how it works. But sure. So it was always in my mind when I went to college, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. But I did hit a point where I was like, well, what type of law? You know, I... I'm a pretty outgoing person, if I may say so myself. I like the arts and music. So I was like, I don't want to be in like a boring area. Uh, So initially I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer and that's what I wanted to do when I graduated law school. However, I graduated during some, you know, bleak financial times. Uh, I graduated in 2011, which was still feeling the effects of, you know, 2008. Uh, So jobs just weren't available and much less jobs in the entertainment world or entertainment law space because it was just hard to get into. They didn't pay well. You had to work for free a lot of the time. So I was like, okay, not doing that (laughs) because I couldn't afford it. Right. You know, I had to help my mom and my family. So I went into the corporate world. I worked at an investment bank and then I went to a really large law firm for most of my career. And to be honest, I thought that I was going to retire there. Hmm. I, I loved my job, my actual job function, the environment, not so much, but I was like, I can do this. You know, it's great money. I can stick it out. Sure. And then 2020 hit. And along with the rest of the world, I kind of had a reckoning and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I want to create a different experience for myself. I think until that time, I thought that the law, it was very linear and there were only certain fields that were lucrative. But then when you think about, when you begin to think about entrepreneurship and you think about it differently and you start to see that it's possible for you, I was like, well, I can do this myself. Uh, So long story short, I, on the side of my law firm, don't tell them, (laughs) I started um, on the side of working for the large law firm. I started my own law firm on the side just to see, you know, is this viable? What can I do? And IP kind of landed on my lap in the sense that it's IP, you know, kind of business law, entrepreneurship, all of that. During In 2020, so many people were starting new businesses. And I started to realize people did not have access to the information that they needed. They had no idea where to start. They didn't know what they had to put in place to, you know, run from service-based businesses to product-based businesses. They just had no idea where to start. And I was like, well, I can, you know, help (laughs) come in and just teach the fundamentals and work with small businesses and set them up on sound legal foundations to get their businesses going. And it kind of evolved from there. Uh, It's going well. (laughs) You know, it has its ups and downs, of course, as any entrepreneurship endeavor, as we were saying. Uh, But it's so satisfying to just be able to help people, as corny as that sounds, you know, (laughs) uh, getting on calls with people 
really lost. And then on the end of the call, uh, feeling like I really changed the trajectory of their business, if only, you know, for 30 minutes. So that's kind of where I am now. I want to double click on a little bit of your upbringing. I'm curious, what did your mom do for work or what does she do? Uh, my mother was a salesperson. So she would work. So she worked for Heineken, for example. And uh, salesperson sounds a lot. <laughs> I, I mean, at the time, I didn't know that, that that's what it was. But she would go around to all of the bodegas and supermarkets and take the orders for their, you know, whatever cases of Heineken they wanted. So she was like in the street every day. Wow. You know, in a very male dominated space, just taking orders, taking shit. <laughs> from these bodega men, of course, and these supermarket owners and just really holding her own. That's very cool. And what did you do for undergrad? What was your undergrad degree? I'm curious. Political science. Okay. Yeah. Course. So that That's makes usually sense. The, the law. Yeah. So you knew law for, that was the, I mean, yeah, your parents ingrained it to you. Your mom ingrained it, it, that in you. Wow. Kind of didn't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> when you went off on your own, was your mom like, hell yeah, get it? Or was she like, hey, you got a cushy thing going on. Maybe you should chill out. What was her reaction? I'm gonna put a little bit of a downer on this episode right now. My mom passed away a year ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. And so thank you. During that time, she was actually going through chemo and everything. And so I was just like, it, it, I honestly, it didn't come up. And, you know, mm -hmm. parts of me feels like that's a big regret. I didn't get to explain to her, like, this is what I'm doing. Like, you know, how cool is it? I've started my own firm. Um, but there was so much going on sure. in, in that moment. But I can imagine <laughs> what she and what the rest of my family have shared. Kind of that, like, are you crazy? You're leaving Benefits, amazing benefits, a 401k, you know, uh, obviously the salary, the stability. Uh, and, you know, friends have said the same. But mm -hmm. I, I mean, when I had made the decision to make the pivot, I was already in my brain so far gone that the, that like chatter didn't really affect me. I understand that entrepreneurship is not for everyone. And so people are going to view it differently, especially people from our communities, you know, to leave stability like what? That's unheard of. The story I like to tell people is that my sweet, caring mom would always text, like for the first six months, she would text me like, how's the job hunt going? And I'm like, mom, I have clients <laughs> now. Like, I love you. I know what you're thinking out. I'm going to land on my right. feet. It's going to be all good. But yeah, I the one of the right. things too, I feel like I've read this in a bunch of different books about, you know, wealthy people and, you know, folks from a certain socioeconomic class and the way that they think versus folks who don't come from that class is, I feel like our parents teach us, uh, you know, go somewhere, find this stability, I think, which we all realize is an illusion no matter what you choose. And and that's it, you know. But other people, you know, who grew up with entrepreneurs in their family, they teach a different way of thinking. They're like, own the, own the asset, manage the asset, and then bring people in and, you know, have them do all the work. And I like what you said. Entrepreneurship is not for everyone. It's chaos. It's pure unbridled, joyful <laughs> chaos uh, where you pay a really high price in terms of the risk that you're taking. But the trade-off is like you have so much more flexibility. You're, there's not really a ceiling um, on how much money you can make. There's a ceiling on how much energy and time you have, but all of those things you can figure out along the way. So are you a solopreneur? Do you have folks working for you at your firm? So... 
I guess I'm a solopreneur. I had used like a paralegal service. So okay. it's a company that works with other lawyers and I use them, you know, ad hoc. I'm going to hire my first VA soon because I'm at the point where I need to do that. And even though it's scary, I'm like, I need this or else I'm going to spontaneously come back. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> solo plus a potential VA in the future. Very cool. Well, you know, it is scary, but one of the things I've learned, here's my unsolicited advice to you, Pamela. If I'm not scared of it. my next decision, what the hell am I doing? You know, every everything is like, honestly, creating this podcast, I was terrified. It's like, great, my dumb face and my dumb voice is going to be out <laughs> on the internet for the whole world. But you have to, you know, the one thing is like, oh, does it scare me? God damn it. I guess I got to run towards it. So, you know, it's going to be great. I can't right. wait. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> tell me, I mean, so tell me a little, I want to hear some obstacles that you struggled with starting off on your own. 2020 seems like a crazy time to start a business just because, again, we're like by ourselves in our apartments cooped up. And I felt like when I was going through staying at home, uh, thankfully, you know, privileged enough to work from home, I was thinking like, am I being crazy? Like wiping down my banana? Like you had, it was a hard time to understand like what you were doing and how you're behaving was, you're not sure if it's normal or not. And I think a big part of that was not being around other people. So Tell me about your entrepreneurship journey and what were some obstacles you faced? Yeah, I mean, it was so trippy because, you know, I think in, in the legal profession, you're constantly or, you know, depending on your background, I was always surrounded with people who knew more than me. Right. You know, just the uppers, whomever management, whatever you want to call them. And there's no risk really to me personally. Right. Like if I make a mistake, I kind of have to answer to my manager and like, but I'm not going to jail. Right. <laughs> like I'm not getting a bar complaint. Typically, sure. it's just not, you know, the risk is not there. The responsibility, obviously, uh, and starting the law firm. I hit all of that, right? Like the fear of like, oh my God, am I doing this correctly? Do I know enough? But then a lot of imposter syndrome. And I know that's like trendy, you know, a buzzword now, but I experienced it full on. You know, I have been an attorney for 11 years now. Like I know my stuff, right? However, <laughs> what starting this law firm, so many moments where I was just like, do you know your stuff, girl? Like, <laughs> do you know what you're doing? You know, this is someone's life. Mm -hmm. This is their business. Mm -hmm. Are you sure? And, you know, I, I've come now, obviously I'm more comfortable with that and, you know, making in investments in my education, if there was something that I felt like I needed a refresher on, because uh, it's a, a completely different mindset shift that you have to have from being an employee to running your own firm, but also like being someone's sole attorney, being the business's sole attorney. That's a real shift that I had to um, have. And I'm, you know, still working on that. I have to think differently. Those were really big ob obstacles for me. I think I still get a little imposter syndrome if there's something that I don't understand or I haven't dealt with before. But I'm like, what else would you do? Do some research, you know, figure out, use discernment. I have felt levels of imposter syndrome, uh, in particular, like when you go through the book writing process, one of the things that I didn't realize happens is there's like a final pass once you've like gone back and forth on the manuscript like three or four times they set it on the page right and they're like this is how it's going to look on the page and I have drawings so the drawings make right. the, you know it's like set a certain way like the graphic designers come in and set it and then I remember my editor wrote back to me and was like hey Paco here's like your first pass or your second pass I can't remember which one it was and then you know let us know if you have any 
more changes that you want to make. If not, you know, this is what's basically going to go to print. It'll be proofread a few more times by proofreaders or whatever. And then at the bottom, there's like this tiny clause that she stuck in there that said like, per our contract or per your contract with Penguin, if you change more than 10% of this manuscript, we're going to charge you. And then I like flew into an existential crisis and then like read through my manuscript and like double Googled, like did all this extra research on all these concepts that I was talking about because I had this feeling of like, oh shit, am I going to ruin someone's life? Like, are they going to read finance for the people? Right. Is their life going to be ruined? <laughs> so I understand <laughs> it, that feeling of responsibility when you're putting your work out there right. and you're saying, I got you, like I'm an expert in this and I'm going to help you and I'm going to guide you. It's mad scary to be like, uh, it's right. my, it's me though. You know, that's, I'm putting right. my ass on the line, so to speak. But you have to do it, right? I felt like if I didn't take that stance or in, in situations where I currently, if I don't take that stance to be like, I am an expert, I know what I'm talking about. It messes with your ability to kind of be good at what you do, right? Sure. It, those thoughts creep in and it just like muddies everything up. I For think. sure. And I think that impacts like your ability to earn money from, right? right? If you don't like, if you're trying to fake the funk and you don't have your own back, yeah. you might not ask your employer to pay you more. You might feel uncomfortable with negotiating your salary, which is how I felt for years. Or if you work for yourself, it's like you might waver a client. Like, you know, you say the price on the phone or you say the price on the Zoom and then there's that awkward silence. You might right. like undercut yourself by saying like, oh, well, but we could work with whatever your budget is. You know, I think, yeah, there's so there's a big... Been there. <laughs> You've been there. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's that, uh, they're intertwined, right? Your, your level of confidence and your financial confidence or how you navigate finances are very intertwined. All right. I want to talk to you specifically about, um, getting some, I know you, I know you're probably not going to be able to give legal advice, but we'll call this infotainment. Okay. We'll run some scenarios here. So let's say I'm like a creative professional. I'm a graphic designer and I've worked for people, but today's the day that I hang out my own shingle. From your perspective, what is the most basic legal thing I need to be concerning myself with? And can you maybe touch on the financial implications of not having these things? Yeah, yeah. I think for businesses in general, I like to talk about what I call the three pillars. They move in order of priority based on your industry. So we'll use your example, a graphic designer. So the three pillars to me are your like finances, business entity, logistics, I call it. Contractual protections is the second pillar. And then the third being intellectual property protections, trademarks, copyrights. So in the graphic designer example, and almost in all cases, I'd always start with like, have a real conversation about finances, right? Like, how are we paying for these things? How are we keeping our overhead low? If so, do we need an office space? Or like all of those things that we're spending money on in the beginning, Let's write that down. Let's figure out, you know, how that's going to happen. It doesn't all have to happen tomorrow, but let's make a plan, right? I'm going to purchase my domain name tomorrow. And then next week I will do something else that costs me money. In that same bucket, I would at least have a conversation with an accountant, tax professional, CPA, someone, right? You don't need to hire anyone, but maybe get, you know, a paid consultation with someone that can just guide you as to one, what kind of, well, should you uh, form a business entity at all? Because maybe you don't need to in the beginning. Maybe you can be a sole proprietor. If you should, you know, if you're making whatever their their parameters are, I feel like you talk to 10 accountants and they'll give you a different answer on like when you should form an LLC or what it should be. But 
which type of business entity you should form. Maybe an LLC makes sense for you. Maybe a corporation makes more sense to you. I think a lot of people think that it's a legal question, but it's more of like a tax question because it has all of those implications, right? That conversation, finances, my entity logistics, bank accounts, am I going to use QuickBooks, all of that. In the graphic designer example, I'd say second to that, the next pillar will definitely be contractual protections. Do you have an agreement of your own that you will be giving your clients? You should, right? You should have some document that is specific to you, specific to your business, how you like to get paid. You want to get paid, you know, net 15 days. You want to get paid 30 days. You have project deliverables, timelines, all that stuff. You can customize all of that in an agreement if you, you know, hire an attorney to draft it for you. Um, Or you can get a template drafted by an attorney with a big asterisk there, Um, (laughs) a template drafted by an attorney that can help you, you know, that'll be your template that you use for your clients. The point is to have a, a document that is yours, that you give to your client that lays out all of the rights and responsibilities that each party has, right? What are you giving to the client? Let's make sure that the scope is clear. There's nothing outside of that scope. And if the client wants something outside of that scope, it's going to cost more, right? When do you want to get paid? All of those things. So that's kind of second priority. Make sure there's some kind of sign writing so that you give your clients or if you're hiring anybody else, right? Maybe you have freelancers on your team. You want an agreement with them. And then third, last but not least, but just kind of in order of priority for this example is your trademark and copyright protection. So really quickly, trademarks are more to do with your brand identity. So your brand name, a logo maybe, or a slogan that you have, just essentially your public facing brand identity. Copyrights are more for your content, artistic works. So blog articles, images as a graphic designer, any images that you create, designs, those can all be copyrighted. So starting to think about how you want to protect those assets that you create as part of your business. Okay, I feel good about the first thing and I feel really good about the second thing. Let me just reiterate. So when you start a business, you need to figure out uh, the finance side, what kind of entity you're going to set up. I love that you say talk to an accountant. A lot of people think call a business attorney or use... Legal Zoom or something like that. Now, I think speaking to accountant is definitely the way to go. Um, and then from there, the service agreements or the template contracts. I had my attorney draft a bookkeeping agreement for all of our bookkeeping clients, and then a contractor agreement for all the contractors and an employment agreement. And after that, I was like, I feel powerful and amazing. I feel protected. Why did I wait so <laughs> yes. long? And it seems yes. like it's a template because he like he did a highlight on like when I change out the client name and all that stuff. So right. I cannot t- like co-sign on those two pieces of advice more. Y- you will feel better. You will be able to sleep at night, even getting like the right entity set up. I, like when I first started, I started working for myself like in October and I didn't set up an entity until that next January. And then when I set up the entity, I was like, I'm legit now. Like take it seriously. Right. So, <laughs> I'm a real business. Exactly. So I encourage you to do that if you're flirting with the idea of of going off on your own and, you know, see what taking it seriously does for you. The thing that I don't do that I don't have right now is I don't have trademarks. But let me tell you a story about the copywriting. When I was like, I started playing in a band when I was like 16 years old. And I remember... The hubris here. I remember looking at my bandmates and being like, we got to copyright our songs. 
like, who's gonna, <laughs> who's gonna come and steal our songs? The internet was barely a thing. You never know. <laughs> well, and I think we, I don't know what, I think we just looked it up online and it said every time you make a song, if you just write the words like copyright or it's already a copyright, is that true? What did I read when I was 16 years old? So that's a great question, actually. Partly, right? So copyright law says that the minute a work is created, it is automatically afforded certain copyright protections. And you, Paco, let's say you wrote the song, um, you are automatically listed as the copyright owner. Now, that doesn't give you copyright registration, but by law, it says you created it, you put pen to paper, you were the one that clicked you know, the button on the camera to take the image, you are the copyright owner. The only issue with that or the only limitation is that that only goes so far. So yes, you're the copyright owner, but if someone were to steal this work, copy it, you know, distribute it, you wouldn't be able to sue them, you know, in federal court for copyright infringement. There's damages that goes along with that. So what copyright protection does, like officially going to the copyright office and filing a registration, um, which I'm sure they did for your book, is gives you that kind of extra measure of protection so that you can take it all the way if someone were to steal your work. Because what good is owning something if you can't, you know, kind of go after someone for using it if you wanted to, right? Right. So the first layer is this like subtle societal agreement that we're not going to be dicks and steal each other's work. However, people do that. And so you have to register things. But let's get real, Pamela. I'm not going to register every blog post or every like Instagram you know, piece of IP, what do we do in those cases? Just hope for the best? Like, what's the practical advice there? So, you know, some people do. Like, there are people that register every single blog article. Oh, They man. do. You know, copyright registration is more streamlined, less expensive, and just a simpler process than trademarks. So people kind of uh, crank them out more easily. Um, but also, to your point, you know, I think the Copyright Office realized that and they have different options. So instead of filing a copyright for each blog article in that example, you can do a group of works. So they've created kind of different options. So you can say, oh, I'm going to uh, copyright these 10 blog articles and that'll, you know, that'll protect me. It, I, I always tell my clients, you know, let's do like a bird's eye view of your business. If you're a blogger, then yeah, we probably want to have some kind of plan, right, to protect these articles. If you are a photographer, let's talk more about copywriting your images and the occasional blog article that you write. Maybe we don't need to copyright that. Like, I like to take a very practical approach. I'm not someone that's ever going to be like, let's trademark everything. And, you know, like that it's not always necessary. It's so expensive. And again, it's just not always necessary. And we can make a plan, right? Like this year, we'll do this. Next year, you can file a trademark for your logo or whatever it is. I think it's about strategy and working with someone, a business IP attorney that can help you strategize and most importantly, prioritize. Have you seen like the posts where these like graphic artists you know, they put their artwork online and then they go to target.com or they go to Urban Outfitters, one of, you know, a big corporation and they see their designs on t-shirts. Have you ever had anyone come to you for that? Or if not, how would you advise somebody in that situation? So not with like a big corporation yet. For example, I had a client where he had his images taken, a magazine took his images and put them in one of their issues and published the magazine article in print and digital form. And so in that case, you know, there are 
I always tell my client, there's like a whole range of reactions that you can have, right? We can start with a cease and desist letter. Be like, hey, you are using his image. It is strict liability, which in the law really means that like no one's making a judgment call as to whether this is right or wrong. Did you use the image? Yes. Was it without permission? Yes. Then you're in trouble. You know, either take down the images if it's a digital situation. This one was in print, so it was a little bit different. But you have to enforce these rights. And, you know, the way to do that is by hiring an attorney. And like I said, we're sending out a cease and desist. Yes, it could go to a lawsuit. Most times these things end in settlement and usually it's with the payment of some kind of sum, right? Yes, we messed up. We're going to pay you some amount to make up for it. And hopefully it also comes with an agreement that we won't do it again, that maybe we'll give you credit as much as we can. You know, if it's on target.com, let's say we'll say, you know, we'll list you as the artist. So there are a few ways to go about it, but typically uh, you start the conversation and let them know, you know, I've retained an attorney, you're in trouble. Let's, let's start talking. What about memes? Sorry. (laughs) But I'm genuinely (laughs) curious because I feel like memes are not, they, there's like no copyright or is there a law with memes where, because it's a derivative work, we're all okay with like memeing, you know, Michael Scott from the office. What do you know about memes, Pamela? Yeah. So I've been asked this question before and I actually talked about it with one of my colleagues who's an IP professor just to make sure like I really understand. Generally, memes are used as like social commentary, like, you know, comedy. And so there's a there are exceptions in copyright law and one of them is fair use. And I believe that's where memes, gifs, gifs, however you want to call them, they fall into that realm, right? Where you are making fun of something or using it as a different kind of work. The point is that you're not taking that Michael Scott clip, right? And then saying that you created it or that you're using it to sell anything. Like if you were to take a, a GIF, GIF, put it on your website and sell it as, I don't know, a short video form, something like that, then that's a different conversation, right? Because you're sure. using it, someone else's intellectual property to make money for your business. Right. Or like put it on a t-shirt, Right. Right. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. 
We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, Jesse. I can't believe you'll be going off to college soon. Since you'll be out there on your own, I want you to be aware of the dangers of getting into consumer credit card debt. Thanks, Dad. Please say more. It's important to understand that both credit card companies and buy now, pay later services can make it too easy to overspend. They might offer tempting deals, but it's crucial to manage your spending and avoid falling into debt. I've heard about these things, but what can I do to make sure I don't get into trouble with credit cards or buy now, pay later services? First, create a budget and stick to it. Only spend what you can afford to pay off in full each month. Try not to let things like social media or peer pressure sway how you spend your money. Practice being mindful with purchases and always consider the long-term consequences of your spending decisions. That makes sense, Dad. I'll definitely be cautious about using credit cards and buy now, pay later services. I don't want to get into debt. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. Weird Finance. Weird Finance. My favorite part about what you just taught me is that comedy is okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a good conclusion. In conclusion, comedy is okay. <laughs> okay, I and then I want to I want to ask you what your thoughts are on on AI lately and IP and what yeah. are we getting into here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been talking about this a lot. I think it's equal parts scary and fascinating. You know, I use ChatGPT, for example, every day, um, just testing it out, right? Like putting prompts in and, and seeing what comes up. And most times I'm like, whoa, that was creepy. But also like, that was fascinating. <laughs> like, how did it do that? You know, and there's a whole conversation going on on like AI generated images and who owns the copyright. And the copyright office just released something that said, you know, computers, AI generated images, they can't, they don't have copyright owners because it's not a human being behind it being created. Uh, creating it. I think that that might change in the future. I think it's so, so new that it's just a bunch of conversations right now, but it has great potential. Just like with anything, like any new technology, I think it has great potential to do so much good and to help 
However, there are always going to be some bad actors and just, you know, clickbait headlines that people want to put out. So I'm fascinated by it, but also like a little bit at a distance. Like I'll see how it plays out. I'm not screaming, you know, AI is going to replace lawyers yet. I don't think that at all or anything else. Copywriters. Someone said to me the other day, oh man, copywriters are are screwed. You know, now with chat GPT, you can just be like, uh, create an email sequence for blah, blah, blah. I don't know that that's the case, right? Like what's copy without a marketer, like on the background strategizing what your marketing strategy is going to be? Totally. The thing I've realized, especially with the image-based AI stuff is it looks like somebody who doesn't have a soul made it. Like that feels very (laughs) clear. Like the eyes are dead and weird and there's way too many teeth and all these extra fingers. It's just Looks like a soulless being created that art, but I am having a great time with ChatGPT. Right. It's really interesting to test the limits and it's a fun tool because it feels like the art, like the artist matters, right? What you input impacts the output. And so I think a lot of people who are really scared, I don't know, but on the other hand, it remains to be seen because we're teaching these machines every single day. So who knows where we're going to be in three months or three years. I recently asked my chatbot on my phone because my friend sent me this screenshot of, I think it was a journalist who ended up talking to Bing's AI thingy that they launched. Oh yes, I saw that. Sydney? Sydney. And they were like, Sydney got creepy and was talking about how they were watching people. So So creepy. I know my friend sent me the screenshot. So then I went and I opened my chatbot and I was like, are you watching me? Like, and they said no. So I I guess (laughs) I'm just going to trust them. (laughs) Like, okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, for my own peace of mind. Amazing. Right, right. All right. Well, I appreciate you walking us through copyrights. The last thing is trademarks. The trademark feels intimidating. It seems like there's a whole trademark office. I don't know why trademark scares me. Maybe it seems, maybe when I Googled it real quick, I was like, that's expensive as well. What is a trademark? Yeah. Who needs it? Why would we need it? Oh, and also... I feel like the joke is if you trademark something, whenever somebody like says your catchphrase, you get paid. Is that a ridiculous notion? (laughs) Yes, it is a ridiculous notion. We will start there. Thank you. (laughs) So I think trademarks are intimidating because they're kind of abstract. Like they're not really, it's not a copyright of work that you can like hold in your hand. Like we're talking about someone's brand and it's like, what is that? Right. So that's what we're talking about. Someone's uh, business's brand identity. So if I say Coca-Cola, immediately you are thinking of a red can with white script, right? That is Coca-Cola's brand. So they have the actual Coca-Cola can as a trademark. Obviously they have the scripted Coca-Cola. That's a logo. Coca-Cola, the word is a trademark. So you can trademark, meaning protect logos, slogans, or brand name. So if you think about Nike, the word Nike is a trademark. The swoosh, that's their logo. That's a trademark and their slogan, just do it. So it's about your how the public sees you, how your consumers see you, when they think of your brand, what are, what are the images, the fonts, the colors that come to their name, to their head. Um, and so all of those things are trademarkable, which is not a word, but I use it quite often. <laughs> you can trademark colors, the Tiffany blue, that's a trademark. Wow. You, like I said, you can trademark a name. So 
Why that's important is for two reasons. You want to make sure that the trademarks that you're using, let's go with just your your brand name, your business's name. You want to make sure that it's yours, that you've cleared it, that there are no other businesses that are using them because you don't want someone coming, knocking on your door saying, hey, that's my trademark. Here's a cease and desist. You have to rebrand, right? So that's important. And also trademarks are an asset. Like literally, if you were to ever sell your company, they're a line item on those spreadsheets. So they're valuable. They're worth something. If you want, you can license your trademarks out. If you ever go to, I don't know, The Gap, and you'll see that there's a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt being sold. That's Disney licensing their trademarks to The Gap to use on merch, on apparel. So they really are very valuable. They can be very valuable to your company. And you also want to make sure that if you've thought of something that's an original brand name, logo, or slogan, that there's no one else that could then in the future benefit off of all of that you know, goodwill that you've created with your customers. You want them to think of you and only you when you say your brand name, when they see your brand logo, and that no one can benefit off of that. Cool. Wait, I, I, now I have a question about like, because Winnie the Pooh just moved into the Creative Commons, which means the trademark expired? Is that correct? It's the copyright. The copyright. Okay. So the copyright expired. So copyrights have a lifespan of the life of the author plus 72 years. Don't quote me on that because I think it just recently changed. Okay. But when that expires, you know, because Winnie the Pooh is hella old. <laughs> when that <laughs> expires, it goes into the commons. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's separate. And that's why we Trademarks have- can go on forever okay. if you just keep renewing them every yeah, five years and then every 10 years. Could they have trademarked Winnie the Pooh then? And they screwed up by only yes. doing the copyright? Yeah, they may already. They may have a, a Winnie the Pooh trademark. Okay. I'm pretty sure that they do. I haven't looked it up, but I feel like that's a thing. That's a great question or statement because some people do both, right? So I can trademark my logo. However, uh, an important distinction is, let's say I trademark my logo and I sell t-shirts. Someone can use my trademark to sell electronics because that's completely different. So it's one of the reasons why Dove Soap and Dove Chocolate exist. They're both trademarks, but they sell completely different goods. However, if I were to also have my trademark, my logo and copyright it, that's how I can offer like an additional arm of protection because no matter what you sell it in, I can go after you if you take my logo and slap it on a t-shirt. Sorry for being a jokester here, but like what if Dove Chocolate started (laughs) doing like chocolate smelling soap? Do we have an issue there? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I'm going to go with it depends on that. So what the trademark office looks for is something called likelihood of confusion. So they don't want customers to be able to maybe confuse the two products. And when you enter that realm of chocolate smelling soap, (laughs) maybe some customers might be like, wait, is this Dove soap or is this Dove chocolate? So you're you're onto something. (laughs) They put it on my body or inside of my body? Right. <laughs> I'm sorry for joking around here, Pamela. Let's get serious. Nope, nope. I made you say Winnie the Pooh like six times. Now we're talking about eating soap. <laughs> okay. Before I pepper you with my rapid fire questions, I want you to tell me about your template shop. You've got a way for mm-hmm. folks to have a more affordable and accessible option to basically implementing their new contracts with their small business. Tell us about it. Yeah. So, you know, when I first started, my initial idea was, you know, 
creating legal services or legal products that were accessible to more people, right? Because when people think about lawyers, you're undoubtedly like, that cost a million dollars, like I could never afford a lawyer, right? Now there are so many options to working with attorneys from flat fees to subscription services. And then there are these template shops. So I thought that that was the answer to making it more accessible, but then also giving you things that you can trust, right? Not the legal Zoom documents that I've seen are awful, not the Googling, you know, contract template online and just piecing together something that you found, because that doesn't come with like the legal knowledge, right? The background. So I worked really hard for the better part of a year drafting these agreements from scratch. My background is contract drafting and contract negotiation. So I thought, you know, how can I bring over most of my legal career and those skills into this new venture? And so I've been creating contract templates. And, you know, if you can't make the investment for an attorney custom contract draft of an agreement where, you know, we go through multiple revisions and obviously that comes at a cost, you can purchase a template, which is going to protect you just as well. Uh, You won't have that legal guidance there, of course, but it comes with instructions, a whole PDF document that'll literally tell you, like you mentioned, your attorney gave you, there are highlighted portions that say, this is where the name goes. This is where the date goes. Here are two options for how to collect payments, depending on if you want to collect payments in the beginning of the project or at the end, things like that. So I wanted to make it really, really user-friendly and again, really accessible. I love that. So if I understand this correctly, because, you know, my partner is, she's an interior designer, but she also has another company that does like high-end luxury weddings and all the weirdest stuff that you would never think to put in a contract, we have learned through that side of the business. Like somebody's aunt wants to make the cake and it's ugly as hell and it like ruins the chances of like that wedding getting into vogue, right? Because that's the kind of clientele that my wife works with. And so we had to work with an attorney one-on-one to be like, we can't let people's aunts just make ugly cakes because we're trying to do something here with like a whole larger vision. Sorry, auntie. With our Um, brand. Exactly. And so the, our attorney was like, oh, you need to have a clause that says no outside vendors or or they need to be cleared by the designer. And so if I understand it, working one-on-one with an attorney, you get that high touch, right? Those double clicking on those questions, but a template is more like, it's less hands-on. Is that is that right in my assertion? A hundred percent. So you are in the driver's seat kind of with the template. And I know that, again, that sounds intimidating, but if you purchase a good one, you know, it'll have all the instructions there. You'll feel really confident in filling it out. If you do need any kind of modifications to that template, I always prompt people to kind of then speak to an attorney that's licensed in your state. If you want just certain tweaks to it, it'll still cost you less than hiring that attorney, right? To draft it from scratch, but you will get that extra touch point if you need it. If not, you know, like I said, you're in the driver's seat for that. If you get a custom contract, then yeah, it's a more, you know, business coaches call it high ticket offer, low ticket offer. It's a more high ticket offer where I'm able to just, you know, make the revisions for you. We're meeting a lot. We're doing unlimited revisions, things like that. Cool. So tell the people where to get your templates. That's a great question. No, I um <laughs> I have them on Podia, Podia. I never know how to pronounce that. But for now, you can find them on my website. They'll be linked there. So PamelaRosarioLaw.com. If you go to templates at the top, it'll direct you to where you need to go. And I have service agreements, NDAs, which a lot of people ask about, non-disclosure agreements. If you're hiring a virtual assistant, there's a virtual assistant uh, template there. And I'm launching a new one in a couple of weeks 
for collaborators. So if you're working with someone, maybe you're both putting on a workshop or any kind of joint venture, there will be a template available for that. Amazing. Thank you for that, Pamela. Before I let you go, I want to ask you some personal rapid fire questions. Mm. Are you ready? (laughs) Scary. I'm ready. All right. Is there anything you purchased that feels like maybe in your mind or other people might look at it as frivolous or unnecessary, but for you, it was money that was really well spent? I don't know that other people might find it frivolous, but I think a lot of people thought it was crazy. Uh, My husband and I, instead of having like a big lavish wedding and spending, you know, millions of dollars, we eloped to the Maldives (laughs) and it was just us and it cost I mean, it it was a lot of money, right? But it wasn't anywhere near um, a whole wedding. And we did it the way that we wanted to. And, you know, many people thought we were nuts, but we thought it was great. I love that. My partner and I, my wife and I also, we did like a backyard thing. And then she was like, let's go to Thailand and invite like 12 people. It was very low key. And the price that we paid for the whole thing in Thailand would have been like the venue fee in Los Angeles. So I think it's interesting though, because I, you know, she's in the wedding world and a lot of our friends, I know they're like, they do high-end photography or they do, you know, videography. I know a lot of people in the wedding world. Those are always the ones who are like, you should elope, you know, like. Yes. (laughs) They're like, don't do this. Don't pay me. Just do your own thing. Yeah. I love that. What's one piece of advice, it could be financial or not, that you'd give to your younger self? My younger self. Honestly, to uh, do a little more research on the stock market, right? I think that, again, people from communities like ours, it's so intimidating and you think that it's only reserved for a specific set of people, right? And because they grow up like that, like they have parents that teach them all of this stuff. And so for the longest time, I was so intimidated by it. And I was like, there's no way, you know, I can make money doing that. But just some research, right? I'm not saying go be like a GameStop bro and like crypto, (laughs) whatever, but just learning about like index funds, right? If I would have had some money on an index fund when I was younger, I'd be, you know, it'd look a lot better right now. Just get the information, start slowly, get your feet wet just so that you're kind of starting to build that wealth, however slowly or however simply, I don't know. But back then, yeah, that's what I would have told her. Get an index fund, girly. (laughs) Well, she's there now. So that's what's important. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Did you have any financial superstitions growing up? Definitely. You know, when your palm itches, make sure to put it in your pocket. Put right? it in your pocket. You, okay. You're going to have money. Yeah. You have to put it in your pocket to like simulate the, the money going in your there. pocket. <laughs> yes. You got to put it in your pocket or it's nothing. But also very much if your pocketbook was ever on the floor, you're doomed. Like your, <laughs> your pocketbook has to be on a table, never put it on the floor or you're never going to eat like forever. I've heard this one a lot, like variations of the purse. And oh, I, yeah. you know, I feel like I have to, I have to jump down a rabbit hole after this and figure out where did that come from? You know, why do we hit the floor? Why do we, anyway, we, I'll let you know. I'll keep you know. posted, Pamela. <laughs> yes, please do. Cause I just know it to be fact. Right. I didn't really look into the background. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Last one. Did you have any financial fumbles that you can look back on and laugh at? Yeah, I don't know if I'm laughing yet, but in 2020, you know, the whole CARES Act where they eliminated the penalty for taking money out of your 401k, let's say. 
So I consider myself a reasonably knowledgeable person. I did all the Googling that I had to do and I was like, okay, I can do this. I have a good chunk in my 401k before I quit. We can become debt-free, my husband and I. So like, let's do this. Should I talk to my accountant? No, I'll talk to him after. So I, I did that. And then I spoke with him and he's like, you know, you have to pay taxes on this. And I was like, wait, no, the CARES Act. They said that. And he's like, no, 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 no. That was just the penalty. You still have to pay taxes. So, you know, it's embarrassing because that's what I tell my clients now. I'm like, Googling will only get you so far. If you're not a subject matter expert, speak to an expert, right? And here I am. So I learned my lesson, uh, still paying for that. You know, it takes a few years, but I just urge everyone, again, Googling will only get you so far. You need to speak to someone who deals with this day in and day out, right? No matter how smart you think you are, it bit me in, in the booty. I love saying this, especially about law and legal costs, because I feel like it's the number one thing that freelancers and self-employed folks, they're like later, later, back burner, back burner. I'll worry about it when I'll worry about it when I have more money. Don't be penny wise and pound foolish. That's the best advice I could give you is it's worth having somebody who has your back, having somebody who when you're like worried, you know, maybe your client didn't pay or they're becoming aggressive about something and withholding the payment. You have somebody that you can call and talk you off the ledge and let you know methodically and practically what the next steps are or even why that client might not even have a reason to to not pay you. And maybe they can even help you like accountants and attorneys. If you have issues with authority figures in your life and you feel triggered by that and you money scares you, I can understand why you would want to avoid these people. But people like Pamela are here to make it accessible, easy to understand and to meet you where you're at. So Pamela, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your wisdom. Uh, if people want to follow you on the social medias, where can they find you? They can find me on the medias at Pamela Rosario Law, Instagram. That's also my website. Thank you so, so much for having me. This was fun. And I, like I said, been a huge fan. So I loved every second. Thanks, Pamela. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. 
Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Loose Change. On this edition, Chris Laughter and I are in Echo Park in Los Angeles trading Loose Change for perspective. Today, Chris asks folks about who they've learned money lessons from, what they wish they knew sooner, and what lessons they're most grateful for. So here it goes. So who taught you the most about money? Came a lot through family, a lot of it cascaded down, but like I was telling you, it all came from my great-grandfather. Born a sharecropper, six months before he died, bought a Cadillac with a check, you know? Cash. Yeah, cash. Bought a cash, great. Car dealerships, like, we can't accept this. Oh. They called the bank, they came back, like, you're, you're good to go. Have a good day. Oh, who taught me the most about money? I would say I probably got a lot of advice and information about money from school and parents and stuff like that. Probably wasn't the best. Mm. Um, helpful information. What taught me the most about money is my fuck ups. So failure, yeah, you learn fa- the most through failures. Yes, yes, mm. running out of money taught mm. me. Yeah, that's probably, and taught me the value of money. What information, what financial information are you the most grateful that you received at some point in your life? I had a friend of mine named Jessica who, she knew a lot about building credit. And I was at a point in my life where I was ready to start, you know, I needed to buy a new car and that sort of thing. And she kind of set me down and gave me some tips and I was able to build up a little bit of credit and that kind of got the ball rolling. And I'm so very thankful that I stumbled across her and had a conversation. Her parents taught her about about money. And so she like, by the time she was in her twenties already thinking about money and like had that mindset as I didn't at that age. What do I wish that I could have learned sooner? I think I learned that kids come with their own provisions. I was really scared when I was having kids because I wasn't in that financial position to be able, you know, and I don't know if we're ever ready, right, to take on feeding extra mouths. But then it just happened and then they were there and things just started falling into place and I think they just, I believe that they come into this world with their own provisions already. And I wish I knew that before so I didn't have to worry so much. What do you wish you could have learned sooner? When you're dating in LA, don't go out for dinner first. Do a walk, do a $5 coffee, do something that's not $120 oyster plate, you know, not, you know, $200 sushi plate. Like, do something 
really chill because they just want the meal. Like that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's all they want. And at the end of the day, that's two hundred dollars that could have gone into your IRA. Not everyone we asked to participate did, but of those that were willing, the thing that surprised me the most was how open these folks were, which feels like a good direction. Being open and talking with complete strangers about the joys of spending or the awkwardness of inequality won't solve all of our problems, but it's a damn good start. Thank you again for listening to Weird Finance. If you like the show, please express that like by giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out a lot. And if you'd like to receive even more content from me, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Nerd Letter. Each week, I'll send you a short email of things I've read and recommend. Sign up for it at thehellyagroup.com. Here we are at the end of another episode of Weird Finance, an iHeartMedia production, and just would not be possible without the help of many wonderful, caring, hardworking, and talented folks like my producer, Ramsey Yunt. He produced, edited, did some sound design, and he even sang a little bit on this episode. Thank you to Chris Laughter for walking up to random strangers to ask them about money for the Loose Change segment. And to my new friends, Annie and Samantha from the Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast, thank you so much for lending your voices for our special PSA. Our theme song was written and performed by me and my dear, dear friends, Jenna Parker and Andrew Parker. If you have any comments, questions about money, suggestions, or you want to be a part of the show, give us a call at 833-ASK-PACO. That's 833-275-7226. Or send us an email at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. That's it. We'll catch you here next week. In the meantime, take care. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you gotta get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there, way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals, and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu.